Well, today we begin this brand new teaching series, Unique, and I don't know exactly what comes to your mind when you hear of, or think of the word unique, but when I think of unique, I think of those things that stand out from the rest of the world. They don't fit in. Like it, 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 There's a pattern to the way the rest of the world works, but that thing kind of stands out from that pattern. Like That's why the graphics for this series are all kinds of different patterns with a small but noticeable difference in one part of the pattern, and that part that doesn't quite match and visually stands out, well, that's the unique part, right? Because it stands out from the pattern. To put it in biblical language, it doesn't conform to the pattern surrounding it. And, and you can have a lot of unique things and experiences, uh, experience a lot of unique things across the course of life. There's, there's unique personalities. Like, has, have you ever known someone who had a unique personality? Or let's get a little bit more personality, a little bit more personal. If, if you've ever been told that you have a unique personality, would you go ahead and click like on this video right now? Um, there's unique clothing, like there's unique clothing style. You know, some of you are like, I've got a unique clothing style. For some of you, you have actual unique clothing. Like I had some of that as a kid where my grandma would make clothing gifts for all of the grandchildren. Sometimes they were pretty decent. And then sometimes they were a matching set of turquoise sweatpants and sweatshirt with a deer head stitched onto the shirt. Now, maybe you have a unique interest, like not a whole lot of people are into underwater basket weaving for Japanese anime within, within an anime character, but you are, you're into that. Like that's, that's your thing. And that makes you have a, that gives you a unique interest. Maybe you have, or you want a unique pet. Like my wife, like since we were dating, she has talked about her desire to someday have a pet skunk. I know all the signs were there, right? Like, you know, as, as NMSU gets going, maybe your whole family went to UNM, but you wanted to go to a real school. So you chose to be an Aggie, right? Take that, take that UNM, take that Lobos. Maybe you have a unique family. Maybe you have a unique hobby, maybe a unique job, maybe a unique favorite restaurant. Like when people put up those memes going, every time I drive past an Arby's, I think, who are the peop people keeping Arby's in business? And you know, you are those people and you proudly keep the Arby's in business. And I'm glad, glad to know you. But to be unique is to have something that separates you from the pattern of everything and everyone around you. And the reason I bring all of that up is to uh, is that today and the next few weeks I want to talk about what makes our Christian faith unique. What makes it stand out and stand apart as a belief system? What makes it stand out and stand apart in what should in what it should cause us to do and how it should cause us to live outwardly and what we believe that stands as something wildly different compared to anything and everything else in our world. Now as you hear that, as you hear that, chances are pretty good that for some of you, there's a thought going in your mind right now like, um, Christianity isn't unique. Like Christianity is everywhere. And in some ways, you're right. In the U.S., Christianity is everywhere. There's churches all over the place, Christians all over the place, people who claim to believe in God all over the place. And on top of the fact that it's everywhere, let's be honest, from the outside looking in, on the surface, it doesn't always seem like there's anything all that unique about Christianity. Some of the Christians you met, they didn't live any better or behave any better than anyone else around them. So surely they must have not have believed anything different that actually impacted their lives. Maybe it's that you've been to a bunch of those churches where the whole service, it was to be endured. Nothing was to be enjoyed. It was to be endured. It felt like school. It felt like history. It felt like philosophy class. Just a dude talking about old, boring stuff, nothing unique. It was just like all of those different things. But I would argue and part of the reason that Christianity sometimes today may not feel unique to us is that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
when the church began, what they believed and how they lived was so unique that it captured the attention of the people and the culture around them and eventually captured the devotion of the people and the, and the culture around them. And Christianity, in so many ways, as, as it gained the devotion and the attention of the world around them and the people around them, in so many ways it shaped the world that we now live in and it instituted a set of values that the world had never known before. But the values that so often we as a culture live in now are things that were brand new and revolutionary in the world that Christianity stepped into. This has been written about over and over again by so many different people. And so when we look at the world around us and think, well, Christianity doesn't offer anything unique that isn't found anywhere else in culture, we at the very least have to acknowledge that the Christian faith and the life of Christians, it shaped and influenced the world around us in incredibly powerful ways. And so today and the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to talk about three things that I think stand out as unique within our faith. Now, trust me, there are more than three. But today I want to talk about the uniquely Christian view of where we come from and how we got here and what it says about you and I still to this day. See, one of the arguments that's been made against maybe the authority of scriptures or the idea of the inspiration of scriptures particularly takes aim at the story of creation found in the early chapters of Genesis. And the argument that is made against it is that it is nothing original or unique, but in fact, it borrowed or copied significant parts and portions of the creation stories of these other ancient cultures. And, and, and so today, I just since, since that's sometimes an argument that is made against the inspiration or the authority of scriptures, I, I wanted to actually take a look at what some of these stories are and where some of these creation narratives come from and, and, and how they actually, you know, compare to the to the the Christian story of creation. First we have the Babylonian story that the Babylonian creation narrative that's found in the Enuma Elish, one of the most famous ancient texts outside of the Bible. Uh, in the in the Babylonian creation story found in the Enuma Elish, um, the gods have children gods, but the children gods are so noisy the parent gods actually go to war with them. And in the war with them, one of the children gods raises up and kills the parent gods and tears apart the parent bodies with their blood and guts eventually forming the earth and the seas and then creates humanity out of their blood and guts so that there will be someone to serve him. But humans end up so needy and fight so much he gets tired of humans bothering him, so he creates an earthly king to rule over the people, to stop them from fighting, to stop the chaos, and they go to the king instead of bringing their needs to the God. It's a wild story. The, the creation narrative there is out of chaos, the world was formed. Out of conflict, the world was formed. Out of conflict, an accidental and an incidental world was in fact Formed. And humans and the world that we live in is a result of chaos and conflict. Your, if, if, you're, if you're going by Babylonian faith, your life and your faith, or your life and your behavior and your existence are always and will always be a result of chaos and conflict. Isn't that uplifting? That's, that's amazing. Let's go to the, the Sumerians. In, in the Sumerian creation narrative, Earth and heavens always existed, but there was no sun or moon. There was only darkness. Then gods spontaneously generated out of nothing and existed in chaos and in conflict with each other. Eventually, 
A strong alpha male God arises who kills all the other gods and then realizes he needs someone to serve him. So he uses the blood of the dead gods to create humans as servant slaves. A second, less bloody version of their creation story has children gods who are responsible for developing and creating the earth, but it's hard and they complain. So their dad God creates humans so his kids don't have to work so hard. But then the humans are so messy and complicated and everything that exists in the world is a solution to the problem of humans. This is the, in, in, in this story, rivers and lakes developed because humans complained about being thirsty. So these gods had to be like, oh, these guys, they're so needy. Oh, we had to create rivers and lakes because of their thirst. Then we had to create animals so that they would have something to eat. And then we had to create plants so they would have something to eat. And all they seem to want to do is eat and drink. And then they seem to want to fight each other. And all, like, I mean, they just keep crying out and crying out and crying out. They got so many problems. Everything in the world exists according to this narrative. Everything exists as a solution to a problem because humanity is a problem. Either humans were created to serve the gods not to know the gods, not to love the gods, not to, not to steward the creation, but they were, they were created to serve the gods and to serve the king, or they're a problem for the gods to solve. Again, isn't that an inspiring story that according to this ancient narrative, you're a problem to solve. You're a problem for the gods. Like, you're, like, you're a problem for the king, you're a problem, and the earth is the solution to humanity's problems. Now, one more, in the in, in Egyptian story, because sometimes... It's believed that, that, that the story in Genesis comes, you know, kind of comes from or borrows from the Egyptian stories of creation. And there's multiple, but the most common one, the most well-known, is that there are gods who spontaneously generated out of chaos and then spawned into the gods of the air, moisture, earth, and sky with people, plants, animals, civilizations eventually existing as a result of their existence. There was no intentionality. They didn't intentionally try to create them. It was just because they existed, now there was other things that existed. Because they existed as the god of air, the god of sky, the god of earth, the god of wind, the god of fire. You know, like, as they existed because of that, because of their existence, there were other things and people eventually that became existent just because of their existence. No plan, no purpose for creation, just existence. So to summarize the ancient theories of creation... Everything that exists is a byproduct. Everything that exists is a byproduct. We're either, everything that exists is either a byproduct of conflict between the gods, it's a byproduct of the existence of the gods, or it's a byproduct of the problematic humans. But nowhere in any of these texts is there a purpose, is there a plan, is there anything for humanity other than your job is to serve the gods. That's the only purpose and only plan that there is mentioned in any of these stories. The only other thing is that you are, that sometimes the king is the representative of God, and so you serve God, the gods, by serving the king. The, the, every one of these stories is ultimately pointing to the need for a king so that humanity doesn't wreck each other, so that the, so that the gods don't have to constantly be bothered by humanity's problems. That's the, that's the point and the driving thrust of every one of these creation narratives. Now, you may notice, because if some of you, 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 you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1, and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound anything like Genesis chapter 1. Why would anyone think that we drew from that or borrowed from that or, or, or copied from that? 
I don't know. It's a good question. Now, to, 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 to go beyond that, those inspiring views of, of, of creation and where we came from, let's compare maybe some of the modern beliefs of today, what leading thinkers and philosophers and scientists say about the formation of the world and humanity. One of the most common beliefs, and, and I think this may actually be, be coming to fade a little bit in, in, the, in, the, in how, how widely believed this is, but there's the Big Bang Theory, not the TV show, the scientific belief in a Big Bang. Chances are you're familiar with this in some way, but the theory is that 13.8 billion years ago, there was a thing, something called the singularity, whether it was an exploding star or a collision of two highly dense objects, both that already existed somehow. I mean, they came from somewhere, but we don't know where. Um, and from this collision or explosion, every big, every bit of matter that exists in the universe came and eventually form. So these things, we don't know where they came from, but something, something happened here. And again, we don't know what, but something happened. And it was a singular point of thing that was so big that it created everything that we know and everything that we see today. Why? Just, there's no why it just happened. Okay. So that's the big bang theory. And I'm not, not speaking against that. That's just the, the a, a short explanation of what that is. We have the evolutionary theory. And again, I'm not speaking against the idea that things have evolved or changed, but because obviously people are taller than a thousand years ago, for sure. And a thousand years ago, we were taller than we were a thousand years before that. I mean, today golden doodles exist and that was not a species a hundred years ago. Okay. So there are things that change. There are things that shift. There are small changes. But the evolutionary theory is simply this, that there's a genetic survival of the fittest, and those, those genes that are deemed the, the fittest, they survive and pass on to the next and pass on to the next and pass on to the next. And somewhere along the way, there was not humanity, there was not most of what we see, but it all evolved scientifically by this genetic survival of the fittest. There was no starting date, there was no starting moment, there was nothing that got everything in motion. Everything existed a little bit at some point, and then it just changed and changed and changed some more and changed some more and changed some more and changed some more and changed some more. Again, it's not a, there's, there's no belief that there was a start. There certainly is no why. We exist because we exist, and we exist because over thousands of years of time, we have always existed, and we have changed a little bit here and there, and over millions and millions and millions of years, we've changed a lot, and here we are today. Why are we here today? No real reason. Just we're here. This is where we are now, okay? And then you kind of have this group that's kind of become known as the new atheists. This is like guys like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. They're completely driven by science, which has decided the answers to these questions are how we got here, how we got here. Our, our evolution, maybe the Big Bang Theory, maybe a combination of the two. To them, there is no story of creation since to them, there are no gods or God. Science, if you want, if, if, if they were to name a God, it would be science, but that's, but they actually, they believe there is no God. There's only what we see, what we can, what we can examine, what we can study, what we can measure. And that's, and that happens by science. And so it doesn't really matter how or why everything exists. It only matters that it does. Let me give an inspiration, an inspiring quote uh, along the lines of why and, and, and why and how and, and, and all these things from, from one of these men named Christopher Hitchens. To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? Why do bad things happen to me? Why not? Why do good things happen to me? 
Why not? There's no reason. There's, there's, there's no purpose. There's no grander scheme to things. There's just simply what is. And so why do bad things happen? Why do you exist? Why wouldn't you exist? Isn't that inspiring? I mean, again, when you look to the, to the ancient texts and to the modern texts, what you see is everything that, it, you know, in the ancient texts, Everything that exists is a byproduct. In the new, in the modern text, in the modern thinking, everything that exists exists by chance or by accident. Like that, that, that whatever you looked at to, in, in, in those directions, if you look to the ancient text, everything that exists, it's just a byproduct of the existence of the gods, of the anger of the gods, of the conflict of the gods. That's why everything exists. In the modern way of thinking, everything that exists, there is no purpose. It's not a byproduct. It's just simply accidental, incidental. It just exists, and there's no reason or rhyme to it. And into that culture, into those way of thinking, I would hope what we're about to read from Genesis chapter 1, from the Christian account of where we came from and how we came to be, I would hope that the first five words of the Bible sound so incredibly unique that it may just make you rethink and, 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 and think afresh about this idea that Christianity holds something unique in and for the world. The first five words of the Bible are simply this, in the beginning... God created. In the beginning, God created. Unlike the Egyptian text where there's a God that spontaneously formed, this is the God who has always existed. Unlike the, unlike the ancient text where, 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 there's, where there's no intentionality, it's just a byproduct. Unlike the, the, the modern way of thinking where everything is just an accident. In the beginning, God who has always existed who existed before anything and will exist when, it's all, when it all comes to a close. This God created. He didn't form. He didn't tear things apart and something formed as a result. He didn't, he didn't just let things be until they were the way they are now. In the beginning, God created. You know what makes Christianity unique? You know, the, the, the first thing that makes Christianity unique that we're going to talk about Christianity or create in Christianity, creation is not accidental. Creation is intentional. I mean, as you read through Genesis one, as you read those, those first five verses, this God who was and is and always will be the God who did not need to spontaneously form the God who did not form out of chaos, but the God who always was and always will be. He chose to create. That everything that was created was a choice by God with intentionality for its creation. In Christianity, creation is not accidental. It is not a byproduct of conflict. In Christianity, creation is intentional. I mean, and then as, as you read through Genesis 1, there is intentionality in everything that God does. Intentionality in the creation of light and darkness. Intentionality in the creation and separation of land and water. Intentionality in the creation of plants, fields, and trees. Intentionality in the creation of the small and large fish in the waters, the birds in the sky, and the animals on the land. Intentional in order. And this is, this is something so fascinating. When you read through Genesis chapter 1, 
There's, there's the first few days are, are God separating the waters from the land, separating the day from the night, separating the light and the dark. There's the separating. And then there's the filling that God, God separated so that, so that when he created something to fill what he had separated, there would be space for them to exist and to flourish. He separated and then he filled he separated the water from the land so that when he created the when he created the fish, they would have they would have water, and when he created the animals, they would have land. He created the sky and separated that from the water so that when he created the birds, there would be sky for them to fly in. That there is intentionality in everything that he did. There is intentionality in order, and there is intentionality in preparation. That God step by step prepared a place suitable for life and for humanity. And more specifically, as, as this builds, everything God is doing is coming to the apex and to the peak in the creation of humanity. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, specifically, the author of Genesis 1 gives, goes on to recap the creation of humanity. This is, this is the peak of God's creation. This is when God looks after seven days and goes, everything is good. It is all good. This is the last thing that God looks back on and says, it is good. It says, then God said in verse 26 of chapter one, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and, and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. What makes Christianity unique? What makes our Christian faith and then, and then how we live that faith out unique? From the very beginning, we see something so unique in the world for the world. We see something so unique in the world for you. And here's the, here's the bottom line from those first five words of, 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 our, of our Bible, from those, those few words that we just read in Genesis, from the, the creation story in Genesis chapter one. Here is, here's the bottom line of what makes our faith unique as we start this series today. You were created on purpose for a purpose. That in a world that says, no, 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 everything exists just by chance. Everything exists by accident or Everything exists as a byproduct of conflict and chaos. And, and, there's, and there's no real purpose for it. And there's no real purpose for it. And, and it's all an accident. It's all just an, a byproduct. It's all just, you know, like chaos and conflict. And that just kind of led to the formation of all of this stuff. And so they're like, there's no purpose. There's no intentionality. We have, a, a, we have scripture that teaches us that you were created on purpose, intentionally. You were created on purpose. And you were created for a purpose, not just to serve at the whims of the gods, but you were created for a purpose that God chose to create our world. And he created our world for us as humans to enjoy and to flourish. And in the middle of our world, in the, at the 
peak of his creation, God created humanity on purpose for a purpose. And if you're alive and you're breathing today, the good news is that that is true for you as well, that you were created on purpose for a purpose. That is a uniquely Christian idea that you and I, every single person was created on purpose. And not only that, we were created for purpose. Only in the Christian faith are you told that every single person that you will ever look at eyeball to eyeball is made in as in created in the image of God, intentionally made the way that we were made for the good purposes of loving and serving one another and enjoying and caring for the creation that God so lovingly and intentionally created. You were created on purpose for a purpose, and that is a uniquely Christian idea. And if anyone ever tries to tell you any differently, you go, no, 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 no. I know what the ancients believed and I know what the moderns believe. And what I believe comes from God that I was created on purpose and I was created for a purpose. And if that's true, there's three things that are going to flow out of that, that that, that we need to make, that I, I want to make sure you know, and that you understand. The first one is simply this, your existence is not an accident. Your existence is not an accident. Your existence is not a byproduct of the existence of something else. You are not the byproduct of conflict. You are not the byproduct of chaos. You are not the byproduct of the air, the wind, the fire. You exist because God wanted you to exist. Your existence is not an accident. You may have been a surprise to your mom, but your life is not an accident. You thought, well, I, I screw up, I'm a walking accident. Okay, that means you've made some mistakes, but you are not an accident. Your life is not an accident. You are here because God wants you here. To put it a little further, you are here now because God wants you here now. That wherever you're living right now, wherever you find yourself right now, you are there because of the intentional plan and purpose of God that has put you there now. Let me take it one step further. You are here now because God wants you here now. You're like, that's the same thing you just said. You just changed the emphasis on the difference. Exactly. God wants you here now in the year 2023, that the reason you exist where you exist and how you exist and like now is because God wants you to exist in the year of our Lord 2023. God made you on purpose for a purpose, that your existence is not an, ex- an accident, that where you exist is not an accident, that how you exist is not an accident, and when you exist is not an accident, that God has given you a time and a place to exist and created you on purpose. Your life was, was given to you by the will of God, that you exist by the will of God. And then the second thing that's so amazing, you were created on purpose for a purpose, which means there is a reason you are breathing. That, that, that it's not just, well, God wanted you to exist. It's God wanted you to exist for a reason. There is a reason you are breathing. And as we see from Genesis chapter one, let me tell you what God said about why humanity exists, which tells you something about why you exist. We exist for a relationship with God. You exist to know God. You know what I love about this? Compared to those ancient texts that say we were, that humanity exists to serve at the, at the will of God. We were created to know God. 
We, we weren't created to serve the, at, at the will, at the whims of a finicky God who just so happened to force their way into existence through conflict and through chaos. We get to know the God who is the God who brings order out of chaos, the God who is not finicky, but who is faithful. We get to know God. That's why we were created. We were created for relationship with God. Secondly, we exist for relationship with others. God told the first people, be fruitful and multiply. For them to be fruitful and multiply, they had to have thriving relationships with each other. Without, without the confusion and the, and the lack of clarity that comes with sin, they knew each other in perfect harmony, in perfect intimacy, and that's what we were created for. We were created on purpose, for a purpose, to know our God and to know one another fully, to know one another completely, to know one another without the hindrances and the, and the confusion of sin. And finally, we were, we were created to, we exist to enjoy God's creation and to care for God's creation and to be faithful stewards of God's creation. Think of this when, when it's told that we were given the, the animals of the fields, when you're we given the plants to eat. If you've ever eaten a pineapple, if you have ever eaten a roasted pineapple, if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse and had a fantastic roasted pineapple, you were created to enjoy God's creation. Every time we care for something that God, that God created, we are living out the purpose that we were created for. And that when we fully live out our purposes of knowing God and loving each other and caring for one another and serving one another out of love, and when we enjoy God's creation, what we ultimately do is we point people around us back to the God who made us. And so we exist, you exist, you were created on purpose for a purpose, which means there is a reason that you are breathing and it means that there, your existence is not an accident. And the final thought that I want to leave you with today, as we, as we, as we begin this series unique, as we, as, we, as we kind of unpack this idea, there's one, one more thought that I think is incredibly important for us to understand. As, as we search for meaning, as we search for our why, as we, as we maybe look past the how, as we look to our why, why God created us on purpose for a purpose, like, wh like why God created us. If it's true that we are created on purpose and we are created for a purpose, and there's one last thing that I think is true, and I, I hope this sticks in your head, and I, I hope that this sticks in my head, in my heart, and I keep seeking the, the answer to this question out, and where, where this leads me, I keep seeking this out. But the final truth is simply this, the best way to know what you were made for is to know your maker. The best way to know what you were made for, the best way to understand your purpose, the, way to, the best way to understand not only how you were made on purpose and what the purpose is that you were made for is to know the one who made you. Is to know the one who created you with intentionality, not accidentally. The one who created you on purpose with attention to detail. The one who created the world around us with the attention to detail to allow for us to exist and thrive and enjoy the world around us. The one who created us, he's the one who knows how you were made. He's the one who knows why you were made. He's the one who knows the purpose that you were made for. And so if you want to know what you were made for, the best way that you can know what you were made for is to know the one who made 
you. To seek him, to know him, to have a relationship with him, to be able to communicate with him through prayer, to understand what he has said about our world and about your life through his word, to know him. And if you know him, the more you come to know the one who made you, the more you will come to understand what you were made for. And that is a uniquely Christian idea. In a world that says, well, your, your life will have as much meaning as you find in it and as much meaning as you, you ascribe to it. We have a, a faith that says, no, 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 no. There is someone who has given your life meaning and purpose. And there is one who sent his life, who sent his son to lay down his life as the price and the value of your life. That your life has meaning and value because Jesus died for you. Your life has meaning and value and purpose because you were created on purpose for a purpose. And the best way to know what you were made for, maybe the only way to know what you were made for, is to know the one who made you. And you can know him today. The, the, the Bible actually tells us that when we, when we accept, when we confess our sins, when we confess our need for a Savior, when we believe in Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection from the grave, and when, as, as, the, as, the, as the payment for our sin and as the offering of new life, and when we accept that, when we accept His gracious gift, we can begin to know God in a moment. And so today, as I pray, if you need to make that decision, right where you are, you can make that decision. And I want to encourage you to do so. Because the best way to know what you were made for is to know the one who made you. And you can know him by placing his, your trust in his son Jesus who died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you could be brought back into life and connection with your heavenly father who made you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we were created on purpose for a purpose. Thank you that I was. Thank you that everyone watching this right now was. Thank you that we were all created on purpose for a purpose. Thank you that you created us with intentionality, with attention to detail, that you created a world that was perfectly suited for us to live in, to thrive in, to exist in, and to know you in. God, thank you that you did all of that for us, that you created us on purpose. And God, thank you that you took it a step further and you created us on purpose for a purpose, for the purposes of knowing you, for the purpose of walking in relationship with you, for the purposes of knowing and loving each other, and for the purposes of taking care of the world and enjoying the world that you have created us for. God, thank you that you created us on purpose for a purpose. Thank you that because of that, we know the truth is that none of us are an accident, that not one person listening right now is an accident. God, for someone today who has believed that the lie that they are an accident, that they are a walking accident, that there is no reason for their existence, I pray that they would know in a very real and tangible way right now that their life has purpose and meaning because they were created by you. And God, I thank you that, that for every single one of us, the ultimate, the, the, that there is a reason that we're breathing. And God, that as we get to know you, we get to understand more and more and more of what you made us for, what that reason is, what the purpose is that we were created for, that we get to know you and we get to know more about what you created us for. So God, thank you for that truth. Thank you for this unique truth. Thank you for these five words at the beginning of your scriptures 
that lead us in such a unique direction of knowing that we were created on purpose for a purpose. And God, I pray that as we begin to unpack these unique truths of your word, these unique truths of our faith, that we would see you as the answer, not an answer, as the way, not a way, as the truth, not a truth, and as the life, not just any life. So God, thank you that we get to know you. Thank you that we get to see you. Thank you that we get to walk with you and that we get to walk out and live out your purposes for us. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.